and welcome back to ABW in conversation with. Who am I in conversation with now, you ask? Well, I mean, I've been in conversation with him for the last hour, but listeners, you might not know that, or maybe you do know that. I mean, who knows at this point? But we're doing back-to-back podcasts. Uh, we've just had a little conversation about Ben White, so that might give away who my guest is this evening. So tonight, ABW is in conversation with Mr. Josh Dorr. Good evening to you, Josh. Good evening, Chris. Uh, I have switched us from right to left to left to right, uh, yes. keeping the host on the uh, left-hand side. I thought it, it makes a little bit more sense and mixes up for people who have uh, are unfortunate enough to be stuck in a YouTube uh, hole where they get <laughs> us back to back. Yes, beautiful, beautiful transition from one to the other. Love it. And uh, yes, as I say, we have just done a podcast on Ben White. So if you haven't heard this and you're living in a vortex, check that one out. Mm. Um, but this is very much ABW in conversation with um, Josh. You are my, ooh, what are you, my fourth guest now, or is it my fifth? Danny, mm. Danny, Tom, Simon, Jeff, you're my fifth guest. You're number Oof. five. So there we go. Um, I'm hoping to get to 10 before the season starts, but we'll see how that goes. So uh, much the same theme as usual. Uh, pretty chill, pretty laid back. There's a few things I want to ask you and just dig into a bit about you and life, really, as well as some Arsenal to finish, of course. Uh, first things first, I, as I did in the last podcast, I must apologise for my ridiculous appearance. Um, I've just got in from a very sweaty, very tough half marathon. So... Um, I'm, I'm not looking my best. Sorry about that, listener. So if, you look, if you're watching this on audio, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, on video, I'm, I'm very sorry. If you're listening to it on audio, lucky you. You don't want to smell what I smell like right now. Josh, you look resplendent, so we're all good. So let's, uh, let's kick off then. So when I'm trying to think, how long have you been with ABW now? It's a couple of years, isn't it? I think it is six. Is it that long? Six years. Uh, because you've got to think when did we start the hipsters english breakfast oh well now you see now you've asked there I we mean, go i i changed, changed hairstyles about eight times since then so that's if, a little if the listeners will bear with and they will allow me to dip into one of my social platforms i have it dated oh when wow I joined um and i will be able to say when i joined hipsters uh so i have been since uh no sorry it was 2016 november 2016 so that is four years and nine months it's coming up five years to be fair coming up five years that 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 is when you think about that that's kind of mental Mm. isn't it we've we've been through a global pandemic we've been through Mm. what three managers since then um Mm. got count knows how many arsenal players we've done two european tournaments three well, I don't know, yeah. World Cup and, and Euros. Um, I mean, the world has gone nuts. So what brought you to ABW? How, talk us through your your passport into the, the, uh, the exclusive club. So I would say it's similar to Cy, uh, if anyone says Simon Collins is one, uh, in terms of started as a listener. Uh, yeah. I remember back in the heady days of 2012, 2013, when I was at university, first time i've moved out from parents house and you're like what do i do when i'm sitting on my own and there are a few things you can do but but, yeah (laughs) but sometimes you need a night off and podcasting was one of the things that you know you'd listen to podcasts this newfangled thing i I would say back in 2012 2013 and looking for stuff for the arsenal and back then you only had a few choices you had ask blog and you had abw 
I can't think of. Uh, oh, you would have had, of course, uh, some now ABWers, Gunasphere. Yes. Were were still going or were going at that point, um, and I, the, I think that was the original Tuesday Club. I think was around then. Just possibly, about. but wasn't on my radar back yeah. then. Um, and I think there was one. Was that. I think footballistically might have been in its early stages then, but mm. it wasn't like. It wasn't I think boys. maybe the Guna Ramble and uh, I kind of started <laughs> with reading the Grove. That was another <laughs> yeah. one from reading reading blogs back then. Again, we're going into the when there was only about three or four bloggers. It was uh, yeah, the Grove again, Ask Blog, Gunner Blog, and our very own Dave uh, Gunaholic oh. was the other one as well. Really yep. of the big bloggers i'm sure i've missed many other people who will be shouting from the rooftops hey always blogging like that um dave seager if he's lucky enough to be listening will probably be wringing my neck uh saying <laughs> i was very active back then and i can only apologize um but but it was a very small world arsenal podcasting um it's not like the days now and i think that was yeah, just listening along with the old group. It was listening to Gav and enjoying the fact that, you know, I was very much a football nerd at that point, watching a lot of football. Um, and it was... Was. <laughs> still, still are. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching football. I'm certainly not watching football with the um, regularity that um, people may expect for having the moniker of a football hipster. But... Uh, Back then, it was a lot of football, at least 20 hours over a weekend I'd be watching. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so it was enjoying having like a refreshing thing of somebody who doesn't... I would always enjoy listening to somebody who only knows their team. They don't know about anything else, and they're very brash, blazing about it. And you kind of like that. It's very rare that you get people in the world who are happy to say, not... I'm stupid, but to open a weakness like that and say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always a great thing from there. There's a lot of bloggers. There's a lot of people who will come along with a very holy mouth. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I've been accused of it sounding very <laughs> condescending in the way I talk and I think we all have the way fair. I come over. And I think anybody in the football hipsters has had that leveled at them. Uh, yeah. And I think you get to know, know me more you've realized that that's it comes across as that but it isn't necessarily that i think jason davis has always put it uh greatly and why he always enjoyed podcasting with me and why i always enjoyed podcasting with him is you knew there was always something in my tank in reserve i'd never let on because i'd always lead you down a trap and then just drop a bit of information and say oh but you forgot this (laughs) and yeah, I think I've completely gone the wrong direction from what you actually asked of how I go no, to no, the other you. No, I like but, it. I like it because it builds the it builds the mm. picture. That's what I like. Yeah. But yeah, so it was listening to like Gav and then um, oh, it would have been John in Venezuela. Oh crikey! Um, and um, who was in Barcelona? Was it another John? Is that the same John? Yeah, I can't remember. Good. Yeah, good. yeah, John in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John in Barcelona. Uh, obviously, Danny and Gimli. And um, yeah, and then it was kind of like, well, I'm enjoying doing this. Oh, enjoying listening to it. Maybe I'll start doing some stuff. But I was still very dormant for 
a couple of years when the bloggers came around i was one of the few that threw my bloggers my blog over um obviously i've done a few in the past um sadly the hipster site doesn't have my great blog that um <laughs> shows amazing foresight into uh antonio conte and pep guardiola's use of fullbacks um but will always <laughs> be one that i will signal back to as kind of a hey i was talking about this three months into the season let alone yeah. yeah before it was popular yeah um and i think that's just one of the things that yeah unfortunately i didn't make the cut on that one so no one ever got to it and to be honest it's probably for the best i'm not particularly good uh am i i wouldn't say i'm not a particularly good writer i'm a better talker infinitely mm. better talker than i am writer Same. but then what actually got me in was it was the hipsters so obviously I'm telling Chris exactly the story that he knows because he was on the other side of it. It was chatting to Chris on Twitter, getting to know each other, Poor thing. saying, realized I watched a lot of championship football, um, mainly because uh, as if anybody has seen the Ben White podcast before this, will know that I followed Brighton and Hove Albion and I've followed them since I moved to Brighton, which was 2013. No, not 2013. It was was around that, wasn't it? No, it's a lot earlier. Uh, It's 2004. There we go. That's it. I got the wrong wrong decade in there. Yeah, so (laughs) I I was a little West Country kid beforehand. um, And yeah, uh, then moved to Sussex. And my uncle was a season ticket holder at Brighton and took his nephew along to games. And that was my uh second or third experience of live football uh certainly the one on the most regular basis going to the with dean um and i've it's always been what kind of started then my love for lower league football still league football but in a stadium that is very raw it is uh i would implore anybody who when i mentioned the with dean just google and have a look at it it still exists as an athletics track and it was an athletics track when Brighton moved to it. Um, I, didn't, I a, didn't know it was still going. I thought they demolished it. No, it. no. The with Dean is still very much there um, wow. because it is a sports complex. That's what it always was. It always was a sports yeah. complex right next to Van Dien college. Um, and that's, that's one that, yeah, I've always then enjoyed lower league kind of, watched Brighton in League Two, watched them in League One. If you'd have told me back in 2005, the team I was watching there would be, you know, in the Premier League this season (coughs) after being in there now for the third consecutive season and selling a player for £50 million. Yeah. I would have told you you were deluded because this was a club that was on the brink. Um, I think people have heard about, you know, the Portsmouth story, um, of how close they were going to going down um, and going under. Uh, Southampton was so close as well. Uh, Bournemouth and Brighton were just as close to being wiped off the face of the planet um, in terms of how close they were going under. But it was really, really interesting to see. I was an Arsenal fan before I uh, went to Brighton games. I've been an Arsenal fan for... I, I would say my first, well, 
I'm sure we'll go into that into how I got to football, but we're still on the question of how I got into ABW. Uh, That that question is coming next. Yeah. uh, (laughs) So, yeah, in terms of uh, lowly football, enjoyed watching that and then just built up a knowledge and continued watching that kind of style of football and obviously watching Brighton in League One and the Championship mainly when I was at uni because obviously it wasn't available to go to games. Um, That it's just one of those that continued following them uh, and just understanding that kind of league, what makes to get out of that league as well, because Brighton have had some very interesting managers across the times. Mark McGee, Russell Slade, um, Dean Wilkins, brother of Ray Wilkins. Uh, Yeah, I was, I was there for Dean Wilkins. Uh, Was there for Russell Slade? Was there for, um, was it Mickey Adams? I think was there. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I don't can't remember, remember the name. Can't remember Adams was there. Yeah, I remember Russell Slade. Um, yeah, there were some awful, awful drafts that came through. Uh, obviously, Gus Poyet as well. Gus Poyet came when Brighton was still at the With Dean. And again, people look at this stadium. This is even a League Two side would be embarrassed. And this was a team that was playing in the Championship still at the With Dean. Um, and I think it was that kind of thing that was, yeah, that understanding it was then, Chris, you were starting English Breakfast, you and Ross had done a few episodes, but it was like, we need a third on here. Yeah. And there's a guy who's been annoying me in my DMs, talking about, he knows a lot about football, he's an Arsenal fan, he also follows Brighton closely, so he can talk Championship, can talk League One with Ross. Um but let's get him started on something else. We've got a great platform that we launched, what, about a year or so before in ABW Live. Yeah. So that was me as the tester. I came on, um, I think before then I was on a transfer deadline pod, uh, maybe a few months, probably earlier in the season, um, because obviously we're talking like November, it's probably a few months before, uh, kind of lost in the headlights of some more... Um, should I say uh, more aggressive people on uh, at the time in podcasting that had their own channels that were very much talking through there, not necessarily letting other people come into the conversation. And at first you're like big rabbit in headlights, what's going on. Yeah, but yeah, coming in, coming into ABW um, for the live shows, did a couple of those. And then Christmas was like, great, let's get you on the podcasts for the hipsters. And that's mm. kind of where I started stopped doing abw for a bit because obviously i was in the hipsters yeah and if abw needed people i might come on for a live show but i then wasn't really brought into the fold until the next season i would say maybe in Mm. the january um you know took a couple of months before you know you got really desperate and you needed people (laughs) for the live show and i was available and consistent because i didn't have a social life well I was I was literally just just looking there as you were talking, like looking looking back as I've got a few things on my phone, like looking back at old tweets and and some of the things that we put out with the hipsters and stuff, and it, it does bring back some memories and it, it does make sense now, like the times when you came aboard and when it all became a thing. So yeah, it's good memories. So what like what was it about football that got you hooked then? Because everyone has their own individual thoughts yeah. or reasons as to why they got into the game. And was it yeah. in the family? Or was it just something you used so... to Oh, this is where I can do a very, 
I'm going to set my, for myself for a joke, but unfortunately I will stumble across the punchline because I already know the punchline is hilarious uh, and it won't come across as hilarious. But uh, my family aren't particularly well-versed in um, football. They're not a great, um, they, there's not a heavy push through it. Um, albeit that my dad was, um, he played the game. He went through the Bristol Rovers Academy uh, he would have been in the same group as Ian Holloway, Tony Poulis. Uh, he's that kind of generation. Uh, just fell out in love with the game. Probably would have pushed harder if, um, you know, the money was in it. But back then, there's no money in football. Got another vocation, became a chef. Um, and my mum is a Spurs supporter. So <laughs> there's the punchline. Uh, about not, not a huge... Uh, yeah, knowledge of football. So, obviously, I was pushed the Spurs fandom. Um, my grandfather was a, fa- um, was a Spurs fan. I, he is of, oh, he's about 1920s born-ish, I think. Must be about there, yeah. Uh, just a couple years on. Yeah, doing the ma- mental maths in my head. So he's about the 20s. And he always told me about North London that... Um, he grew up in North London, um, not in Middlesex, let's say, very much the, I'm trying to put it in a, in a way, if people don't know about London, North London, there is a very particular area that is Jewish. It's got a very Jewish base. And not all of the Jews went to Tottenham. Albeit it's got that understanding as, a Spur, as Spurs being the Jewish club in in uh, in England, really. And there is a lot of international fans that go to go to Spurs because of that. Um, Adam Richman, um, you know, the Man V Food. That's yeah. the reason why he's a Spurs fan, uh, is because of that connection. But I remember him always telling me that what would happen on a Saturday was they'd go to a football game. And they'd go into whichever ground would let them in at that point. They'd go down to Highbury. If they could pay on the gate and get in, they'd go. But, you know, nine times out of ten, well, it was more like seven times out of ten, they couldn't get into Highbury. They'd go to White Hart Lane instead. Mm. And that's how he then became a Spurs supporter, was because, you know... Arsenal was more popular. Couldn't get in. Couldn't yeah. get in. So ended up it. Ended up at Spurs. <laughs> exactly. He just took the other option that would let him in more co- consistently. Um, yeah. So there was never. I've never had that proper like Spurs rivalry or Arsenal rivalry because he never had it. He didn't like the Spurs or he didn't like the Arsenal. Sorry, mm. but he never had that kind of hate because, to be honest, the way he got into football for a couple of years was. I'd go into whichever ground. I just wanted to watch a football game. Mm. It'd go in wherever. And that kind of translates through. I think it's where I'm less um, partisan, I would say. Um, It's the same with a lot of rivalries. I'm not very partisan at all with any of them. Um, And it kind of comes from that. Mm. And then with, obviously, he's a Spurs fan. My first kit that I've ever had and I, I would actually like to find it because it is, for me, it's a really 
nice kit. Um, whenever Spurs bring out a purple quit, uh, purple kit, I go a little bit quiet <laughs> because they generally, I do like a purple kit and I always have, and that's always kind of started. And if you can think back to, um, kind of the Spurs kits of the early nineties, it's the purple pony kit with, uh, purple and black stripes. Yeah, it's that yeah. kit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that was my first ever kit. And, uh, as a little kid, I was one of those weird kids that at some point in his life decided he wanted to be a goalkeeper because I don't know why I liked Ian Walker. Someone had to. I, I uh, kind of did at the time. I'm not going to lie. If I'm yeah. Looking back, um, yeah, I'm looking back. And at that point when you're kind of six, to be honest, I wasn't that big into club football. Hmm. I loved England. I think this is bearing in mind coming off Euro 96. I don't remember Euro 96. I am surprised when any child of the 90s says they remember Euro 96. I call them a liar because I don't think any child of the 90s can remember it. No. Really. I mean, with my, any. my first my first World Cup that I remember was, was 94 in America and I was mm. born in 83. I don't even remember yeah. Italian 90. Like, I think no. I watched a couple of games, but I wasn't. But yeah, no, I agree no. with you. I, I think it's, yeah. you're too early to remember that. You're too early for it. Um, yeah. There's a couple of people with the kind of nostalgia, you know, like Rob Beckett, where mm. especially was massive for it. Uh, I'd have to double check. He might be 98, uh, 88, which would, yeah. yeah, it's that two years that probably helps him out for that, yeah. for Euro 96. But I don't remember anything from Euro 96, but there is that kind of fever around the England team. So mm. England was getting shown more. Uh, I'd watch match of the day. I played a lot of football, wanted to be a goalkeeper at that point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then when playing, as a goalkeeper, you realise you don't want to be a goalkeeper, um, especially when the first <laughs> big kid. Yeah, well, firstly, when the first big kid that's a few years older than you, because you know they're in year six and you're in year three, uh, yeah. kicks a ball at you as a goalkeeper, you realise, oh, I'm all right, thanks. I'll, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be an outfield player now. I'll let that one go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how I then transitioned from being a Spurs fan to an Arsenal fan. It's kind of, it's very kind of lucky, um, I would say, for Arsenal fans. Uh, some viewers of this may may say otherwise. Uh, it's certainly fortuitous. So I remember getting a lot of hand-me-downs. I don't have any older siblings, but I've got, um, you know, my mum was always on the lookout for somebody, you know, an older boy in the village or um, a friend of like my aunts or something, someone would have, a big bag of stuff because obviously you're growing out close so quickly. No one wants to pay anything. And in one of the bags was the 96 home kit for Arsenal. Yeah. And it fit me perfectly. I'd just grown out of my Spurs kit. Yeah. And for a kid that doesn't really care about football at that point, they're just sticking on the kit that they've yeah. got really. Um, I have no allegiance to anyone back then. My favorite player hand on heart is between David Beckham and Michael Owen. As an, one, one out of two is all right, you know. As an eight-year-old, Michael yeah. Owen could absolutely, you know, he could walk on water as far as I was concerned after uh, the World Cup 98. Yeah. I, he was... I can, I can get, I'll give you it. Mm. It makes me a little bit sick in my mouth, but I'll it, it, it does. <laughs> I'll get on to 2002 where he has that final. Yeah. <laughs> Because I didn't like him after that. Um, no. But growing up, it was that. He had the um, BBC Kids show as well. He if anybody can it. remember that, um, it, was, it wasn't it was called Dream Team. 
uh zero to hero i think yeah, was what it was called but again well. i'm that kind of right age that it was targeted perfectly at me yeah you know um i think that's straight after his world cup so i'd have been uh eight or nine at that point when that's coming out that is well well i'd have been seven during so yeah i'm really early really impressionable you can stick a load of um football at me those are my kind of idols david beckham mm. is still one of my favorite players of all time mm. um irrespective of what he did in the man united shirt irrespective of what he did against arsenal still one of my favorite players and will be yeah um just because how he is as a role model obviously certainly haven't got the physique or good looks or <laughs> hairline of, uh, of david beckham but yeah as you say not many people do but yeah it was i got this arsenal shirt i was wearing it and then i started watching i I then look out for arsenal and i see a player called lee dixon and he plays right back i'm left-footed and i so there's no chance of me ever playing right back at all I'd probably be on the right side of the pitch, maybe fancy myself as a winger, maybe a defender, who knows. But Lee Dixon was a player that I don't know why I ended up liking him. Uh, no offence, Lee. Not that you're watching. <laughs> but, I'm sure he's tuned in. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's tuned in. Or I mean, now that I've done a couple of shows with Kevin Campbell, maybe my name's got out there. Who knows? Yeah, Kev, Kev might be on his old uh, WhatsApp for the old uh, dressing room, and maybe they're all tuning into ABW now because there's a great guy on there called Josh. Yeah, probably not know, who know. knows um but yeah no i don't necessarily mean it in that way but um he was he was the player that kind of stood out to me um i don't know why but i was looking at defenders but as i say you know i was moving one down from goalkeepers at that point but you know the england national team was full of arsenal players at that point mm-hmm. certainly in goal anyway we had uh as my mum and I would call him Old David as David Seaman because Old David was then replaced by New David. Yeah. So that's how David, David Seaman James. became Old David was then you had New David. And that was the easiest <laughs> way that we worked out what the difference was that you had David James come in. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was a big thing. Heady times. Uh, heady times for England. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, how I really got into Arsenal and then just followed them and kept following them. And obviously what helps is you then get success coming with it yeah and then when you see the success coming through yeah that then basically was what started me as a as an arsenal fan it annoyed my grandparents certainly on that side but then my mom's not massive into football and my dad was completely ambivalent he's like whatever fine he's not bothered Mm. to support that the fact he he didn't even push me down a bristol route he doesn't support bristol of no. either side um but does ap- does appreciate yeah does appreciate good football uh, yeah and i think that's a that's really the difference um i've certainly dodged a couple of bullets and go into my first ever game that i saw was um with my football team you know when you, you take a you know the kids at the oh, local football team get one yeah, get a load of tickets true. and send us in um yeah. was to swindon town this is true alexandra um and that was league two absolute classic 2-1 loss for um swindon in that game i can't tell you too much about it uh other than i have looked it up a couple of times i think it was in 97 Mm. um because at that age it was when i'd only just started wearing glasses 
And at that point, none of my football mates really knew I wore glasses unless they went to school with me. <laughs> so you didn't. So I didn't take my glasses with me. <laughs> so I didn't see half the game. And I still have like two memories of that, or maybe three. I have three memories. One, not being allowed to let uh, bring in my glass bottle of Lucas Aid. Remember when Lucas Aid came in <laughs> glass bottles? Glass yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that was a. Was a I wasn't times. allowed to take that in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they'd let us take all the other drinks in because you know people yeah. didn't care back then. It wasn't yeah. like no, you got to pay eight pound for a bottle of coke uh, inside. Glass bottle <laughs> yeah, and they were <laughs> yeah. like, why? <laughs> and to be fair, they looked at the ticket, they realised we're in row Z, and I'm seven. There's no way I'm launching that at a player. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and yeah, my other memory, other than not being able to see half the game um, because it was slightly blurry, was the local um barmy army kind of uh fan if, yeah. if you can think of an old english enough if i say barmy army one you know the one i'm talking about he is probably fairly rotund <laughs> probably absolutely stinks of bo we we can assume those two things and he has got a big hat on and it is covered in club badges club pins mm-hmm. it's full of them from various seasons because you know pins were big back in i imagine from the 50s and yeah, yeah kind of carried through that you got the club pins and he, he had every single one in his hat i don't remember being offered to wear his hat and being told by the uh friend's mum that was uh, escorting us through there not to put his hat on don't don't put the weird matt's hat on hat on that definitely hasn't been washed ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> been worn to how many who knows how many swindon games and been rained on constantly sweated on yeah so it's it's a beautiful story of how you met danny that's, that's like, it, it is yeah. Yeah, yeah who knew that danny used to be a swindon town fan um, <laughs> and um so my my first you talk about that my mm. first uh non-arsenal game or game involved a school trip mm. um was actually villa spurs at villa park uh, i think it was i want to say 95 Ooh. it was in the era when stan collimore was playing for, for villa yeah and I think Spurs had the Holston Umbro kit. If I remember, I think Clinton yeah. was still playing Spurs then. So um, yeah, I remember that. And so at that point, Villa Park must have actually felt you know wasn't run down. At that no, point. It, was, it was one of the. Yeah. I think Brian Little was the manager at the time, for memory, mm. and they had the they had those really nice Muller kits with the quite mm. thick uh, per, uh, claret and blue stripes. Really nice kit that, and their yeah. away kit was black and green stripes. Really nice kit that was back in the day, but. Um, and my other, uh, my other small confession, um, which mm. transitions us beautifully into England, was um, when I, my memory of, of Euro 96, obviously was watching mm. it. I remember the Paborski chip. And that was one thing that always mm. sticks in my mind for Czech Republic. But I also remember uh, being an England fan at the time. I will out myself mm. at that point. I was an England <laughs> follower. Um, and I had, a, I had an England shirt. And it, to be fair, it was one of the better shirts with that crossover mm. collar. And it was a nice looking shirt. I had Barmby seven on that shirt. Ooh, do you remember Nick Barmby? I do remember Nicky Barmby. That's an uh, excellent one. And I think at the time, I know he played for Middlesbrough, but hmm. I think at the time he was a Spurs player. I was so, going to say there was a chance that you were going to have a Spurs player on the back. Yeah. Because it was I, a fairly Spurs heavy team, wasn't it? It was it Gaza. Was, Anderton was there as well. I do remember Anderton being another one of my favourite players. But obviously, um, when you're trying to look out for your favourite player, you're very confused why Darren Anderton would only turn up 10 times a season. Yes. Um, When you're you're a youngster, 
Yeah, yeah, I would say no. Um, and bear in mind, this is like you say, '96. So I was born in '83. So mm, what was I, 30? So yeah, I was around about in that sort of period where I, I didn't really fully. I mean, I knew I was an Arsenal fan, but I didn't really understand the levels of tribalism. I guess like no. you would call it. And in 1996. I mean, actually, Nick Barnby signed for Middlesbrough in the 95-96 season. Mm. And apparently he was, he was, there you go. He, he uh, went from, um, he was Middlesbrough's most expensive signing in June of 1995. So he would have been mm. a Middlesbrough player in year 96. 5.25 million. Wow. time to be alive. I mean, it, it doesn't Crazy. exclude the fact he was a, a Tottenham you know, ninety-two to ninety-five, he was a he was a Tottenham guy. But when I had him on my Euro '96 shirt, he was a Middlesbrough player. So I think I'd get away with that one. I think you but, can get uh, away yeah. with that. Um, I, yeah, I think it, it was it's... the Middlesbrough. It was the Middlesbrough era when they had Janino and um, uh, Ravinelli, and it was in that era. Yeah. I think they played at Highbury on the opening day of that season, if I remember rightly, and they got a one-one draw. Yeah. I think Barmy might even have scored in that game. But yeah, in there. That was during the big. It must have been during what the big Middlesbrough paying everybody loads of money. I can't remember yep. the player that they threw Emerson. Apps. They uh, it was Virginia. Emerson, but there was a striker Franco. that they went after that didn't end up going with them, but was meant to. Uh, I'm sure it was someone like Lineker that they were going after. Wouldn't be surprised. They were throwing silly money because they had Ravinelli and they had uh, they had Yanel um, mm. Gafiotov just before he left, and mm. they had Mikkel Beck who had wonderful hair. Um, in that era, Mark Schwartz was their goalkeeper back then. They had like Steve Vickers at the back and Clayton mm. Blackmore, and oh yeah, it was a time to be alive. But I did, I did want to ask you about mm. England um, and the Euros. I mean, <clears throat> we we've had many conversations about my mm. allegiances to, to France mm -hmm. and, and your allegiances to England. So when we were doing the hipsters pod and and we were sort of talking about it then, I think I think even you dared to believe, didn't mm. you? At some point, I think you you thought it was potentially mm. gonna arrive home quote unquote um, yeah so it's, i would say the team that i have supported the longest if we can call them a team and i think in certain pub quizzes and certain general football quizzes they will include national teams as a team mm. would be england mm. um as i say would i remember euro uh, sorry the world cup 98 in france vividly mm. i had the world cup 98 ball uh i had um yeah, and I remember the group stages vividly. I, I remember being the only person shouting uh, uh, and the only person watching the game, actually, for England <laughs> Tunisia when they scored the second goal. I had to shout to my parents to come in because we'd just scored. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of this kind of Euro, I, I was never really sure... Uh, I think we always knew that getting to the semis in the World Cup was we'd done the best with a bad bunch. I don't think what we, I don't think what I ever realised was Southgate's ability to turn a team that was very agricultural in only two years ago to a team and integrate the talents he had so much better because we are very much talking about imagine going from Tony Pulis to Pep Guardiola in terms of the talent that's available mm. to you. Yeah. It's going from a team that was very, very defensive, had Eric Dyer as your creative midfielder, um, you know, in the low block um, to then going to having the players like Declan Rice coming through Calvin Phillips, 
coming through. Uh, Bakaya Saka, uh, I remember, and there are many members of the Hipsters pod that will that do mention consistently that I went on record and I said I um, I would be absolutely shocked if Bakaya Saka played a single minute for England. Mm because there was no precedent for it based on even during the nations league there was no precedent for having and for southgate bringing these exceptional talents in you see how long it took to bring Grealish into the side i think yeah. to be honest in hindsight i see why it took so long because yeah. there are a couple of faults to Grealish's game um but, but we're not here to talk about him um but it was after we beat germany because that was, I remember saying, we'll get through the groups that will give us an idea of what we're doing. I don't know how we should finish the, out of the groups. I don't know whether or not we should try and take the easy route that then becomes a very hard route or we take an initially very hard route that becomes slightly simpler route to the final, uh, especially with all the home fixtures mm-hmm. um, and the, I would say, great advantage that gave us. Um because it certainly was an advantage. It was basically a home tournament for three or four teams. Yeah. And the most is that at least two teams played four games at home. Yeah. Um, you know, England obviously playing the majority. Uh, Italy, I think, played four games um, in Italy. But that's, that's the kind of thing that I kind of saw as soon as we got Germany... I knew there was a chance, but I still wasn't sure because I've been let down by, you know, as the song goes of 56 years of hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, it's always been, don't trust it too much. Um, And yeah, as soon as we beat Germany, we got drawn with Germany. I knew that was the game we wanted purely out of the atmosphere that I knew people that probably, probably fueled, by stuff that isn't necessarily something we want to see mm. in football, um, but is something very English, was that kind of, we needed to um, get that kind of um, hatred towards Germany. And this is where you know, I kind of go back into, I haven't got that partisan nature to me. Yeah. But England and Germany for years, you know, everybody knows why England don't like Germany. Germany don't necessarily reciprocate with that, but then losers tend not to like winners um, mm. and tend to not give them the the ammunition they need. Um, yeah. And they're quite good at doing that. Uh, they don't see that rivalry. Um, but I think that was where I kind of thought England had a chance. This was turning out quite well. Depends how hard the draw goes underneath. I was still worried when we got to the semi-final uh, against Denmark to be honest, because I would say anybody coming fresh into the tournament just thought, oh, Denmark, be fine. But Denmark, uh, unfortunately, because I'm following them quite closely, I'd know that Denmark were a tricky team for us because we played them twice in the Nations League not that long ago and struggled massively against them. And especially with uh, a um, extra, I want to say incentive motivation that Denmark had through that tournament. I think England were very lucky in terms of they got to the difficult teams when the difficult teams were fatigued heavily. The Ukraine game, 
Uh, yeah. If they played Ukraine in the round of 16, that's that's not a 4-0 game. Ukraine was shot, weren't they? In that game? They were absolutely destroyed. Uh, and the same for Denmark as well. Yeah. Denmark turned up and they were leggy as hell. Mm. Um, they gave a good like. 55 60 minutes and then it they made us worry um yeah. certainly um and to be honest i think a lot of my uh any energy going into england was being squarely uh aimed at for some reason i'll want to continue playing the england captain uh in games where he was not anywhere near the right pace for the game yeah. um and there was better options on the bench uh, that not was probably biased, not and <laughs> to be honest I have to look at it and I always try and place myself against other people of other fans of England and that don't have that Spurs rivalry mm-hmm. as much as Arsenal do so I speak to like West Ham fans um, one of my colleagues is part of the England travel group so went to every single game um, and had tickets for it easily Um that was one of them that I was just like, Kane is rubbish, right? And he's like, yeah, he is. He's just not at the pace of it. Oh, he's a great striker. You know, we've seen him score countless number of goals against both of our sides in the Premier League, but he just wasn't suited to that tournament. He just wasn't ready. And for me, Southgate, that decision he made had made a rod for his own back, um, giving Kane the captaincy. For me, that wasn't the obvious choice. I think in hindsight, you you make captain the player that, although I don't like him, and I thought he was one of the main reasons we lost to Croatia in the semi-final, was the fact that he's so bad with the ball, it's Jordan Henderson. Mm. A guy that had captained from the bench, wasn't playing in that Liverpool side when they won the Champions League, and wasn't mm. in the side when they won the league, necessarily. Wasn't first name on the team sheet anyway, mm. due to either injury or you know, what wasn't the right player for the situation. Yeah. And that was a player you could do that with. I don't think you could do that with Harry Kane. I don't think he's got that strength to no. be dropped. I think he plays every game no matter what. And he's forced in, or he's got a great situation in Spurs where he doesn't have to play every, or he does have to play every game. Even if he's at 40%, he's better than the other options. Because no one in their right mind, any striker, is going to Spurs. One, because they won't pay the wages. And secondly, there's no chance of any games. No, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, um, they had Vinicius last season yeah. from Benfica on loan. He's on loan. Yeah. He's not going permanent. They've always struggled for that backup one. Yeah. But that's not a problem you have in international football. But no. you could call up all of the best players. Like Calvert-Lewin's never going to sit behind Harry Kane at Spurs if Spurs went to Everton and gave them the money they wanted. Calvert-Lewin's not going. No. Um, but international football, you have that strength and depth. Like, look on the wings. If uh, Saka wasn't doing it, you had arguably the best under-21 player in Europe in Jadon Sancho available on the bench. Mm. That doesn't happen at club level. No unless you're a super elite team, unless you're Man City. Yeah. Um, like even Liverpool don't have depth for Salah and Mane. No. Arguably. Even, even a club like PSG wouldn't say they had a huge, you know, they got them back no. in Neymar, but then you're down to Moise <clears throat> Ken on loan and 
I mean, you've, you'd argue Di Maria is a forward, but you know what I mean, you know, always a Kelly. Yeah, and then it's, um, well, it was Diaby, wasn't it? And uh, Diaby then moved to Leipzig. Leverkusen. Yeah, and you had, um, before that, had like the likes of Pastore and... <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's got yeah. Draxler, who's then there, and Draxler's a shadow of his former self as well. Um, yeah, quite a big and shadow. That's, and that's a club with unlimited money. And then you could exactly. go down the Real Madrid Barcelona, but I mean that's a whole other story this season. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that kind of annoyed me. One thing that I think I always add to my pessimism is purely because of that striker role that unless Southgate sees the light and either rotates him out because that guy's not fit mm. or gives another guy a chance, I can't see England progressing into a final and winning it. You needed a Danny um, Ings, I think. Personally. What we needed was Calvert-Lewin because mm. at the end of that final, although the substitutions I didn't agree with either, I think Trippier should have stayed on the field, Mason Mount, wasn't the player for that final. Uh, Yeah, he played a Champions League final and he played quite well. He'd had an average tournament. Um, He takes um, information very well. If you feed him the information, he's basically the equivalent of Willian now for Chelsea. (laughs) Takes information really well. Yeah, not quite as chunky. Um, But, you know, does his instructions, isn't necessarily the player for you, but will bring a moment. Mm. Um, Yeah, for me, that when you take off Trippier and Mount and then you don't replace them with players that can take set pieces, you're down to your your third or fourth choice. And then you've still got, you know, if Maguire then goes up and if, um, wasn't Carl Walker, I can't even remember who the other England centre-back was. That's that's how much I've put it out of my memory. Um, Um, Mings and... uh, It wasn't Mings that played in the final. Maguire uh, and... Who did play? Oh, uh, uh, um, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. Who was the other bloody England centre back? Um, Tell you, that's how memorable it was. No, it wasn't Ben White. I'm gonna have to look. We took we took a million centre backs with us. Um, Yeah. For some reason, I can't remember who played next to Harry Maguire. It wasn't Michael Keane. That was one thing I was very happy about. We stopped taking Michael Keane with us to tournaments. Um, The other centre back was. It's John Stones. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's John Stones. Been a long day, boys and girls. It's because he didn't mess up. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone remembers John Stones when he messes up. Yes, yeah, so Stones and Maguire, if they're coming forward, all right, that's enough for uh, Italy to think about. But you've got a striker that can't jump anymore. His ankles are shot to pieces. He. Mm. He doesn't get elevation in the air, doesn't fancy headers anymore. You've seen what he does now when a header's an option. He goes and tries yeah. to kill the player instead. Yeah. And that what you have got... Injury, yeah, exactly. And your other option is a scouser that can leap like a salmon. Yeah. Uh, I know he's not at the kind of meme levels of Ronaldo in terms of the heights he can jump, but there's some pictures that come pretty fucking close in yeah. terms of the level of spring that boy can get. For a big and, guy as well. I mean, he's, yeah. not, he's not a small guy, is he? So. Exactly. He's still plus six foot and he could jump almost his height Yeah. up. He can get at least five feet off the ground uh, for a header. That is the guy you want in the box when at that time, Italy, no, they are just fouling us 40 yards away from goal because they know our only real option is probably Calvin Phillips, who he takes an all right set piece. But when you've got no one in the box that fancies jumping for it, 
or at least your only options are your two centre backs and not a striker. Yeah. That was the for me one of the big letdowns. And and there. that's where because I can hear <laughs> Ross listening to this now screaming <laughs> James Ward Browse because he was the <laughs> one, wasn't he? Like he, I just he you had to find space for him in that. I team. think certainly that made sense that James Ward Prowse has been there. Um but I would also say in that particular moment it doesn't necessarily help because, or at least in the squad anyway, you had Kieran Trippier. He takes a really good set piece. Luke Shaw was taking excellent set pieces for the entire yeah. tournament. Unfortunately, we were getting fouled on the other side of the pitch. So an outswinger from a lefty wasn't what you needed. No. And it was that right foot player. And then taking Mason Mount off and I know I've just criticised him, but again, takes a good set piece. Mm has that quality ball into the box and we just didn't have that and that was just down to the substitutions I think if you don't take Trippier off we don't have a problem we probably win it to be honest I think it's up there with that bigger mistake that if Trippier stays and plays the full 90 minutes and you bring someone pacey on to push Italy back because that was the big problem was Italy finally realised that they could push England back and Trippier's going to be there in terms of the pace but he's your only real option Shaw might be there as well but Mount isn't pushing Sterling is quick and he might sit on the last man but that's the only person you're looking at because Mount's going to want to drop deep and Kane's going to want to drop deep so you're only really dealing with on you know sitting on your back line is Sterling every once in a while because again he's going to come short for it there wasn't a Saka, there wasn't a Sancho. It was the player I wanted to come on with Sancho at that point mm. to drive Italy back because that was the big problem. All the problems came because Italy were allowed to play their high line again. And in the first half, that's what we'd stopped them doing was we were getting in behind. Um, and that's how Luke Shaw managed it. You know, Trippier to Luke Shaw, go. Kane's nowhere near it. And mm. that's what we needed was someone with a bit of pace, even Ollie Watkins, if you know, we didn't take him in the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I what like you wanted him behind. Oh. That was a player you wanted in behind, in behind, and that was my biggest frustration. Is there were a number of mistakes that were made in that final. Yeah. On the upside, I think going into the next tournament is that Southgate seems to learn as a manager, mm. and whilst I haven't necessarily liked him, he's addressed some of the mistakes. He's done a lot of changes that have been good for England, Needed. and I think he talks very well as well and I think at a moment of probably national crises crises there's multiple crises in England at the moment not just the pandemic yeah, yeah well, I wasn't going to make it political I was just going to mention them as um, euphemistically yeah. but I think there are a number of ones above and beyond um, Brexit and the pandemic um, certainly hugely highlighted with the three players targeted post um, mm. post the um shootout yeah um that's also another one and he talks very well about all of those aspects and i think that is what you actually need as an england manager because to be honest uh, and i don't necessarily tar a generation or a, a group of people with one brush but certain people or any people listen to certain people for as role models Mm. And there is a group of people out there that the England manager is a role model mm. for us. The same way that for me, David Beckham's a role model for me. Anything yeah. David Beckham says, I'm going to take with a little bit more gospel. He says high club is a good whiskey. Yeah. 
Mm. I've drinking I, I've had high club. It's not a good whiskey, <laughs> but David Beckham convinced me it was enough for me to buy a bottle of it, <laughs> and then realised it's yeah, and then realised might as well have drunk, might as well have saved my money and bought some lighter fluid. Um, <laughs> so I think that's that's the kind of thing that there is a generation of yeah. people that listen to the England manager as kind of a beacon of stuff. You know, they won't listen to a politician or they won't listen to like a scientist, but if it comes from the football, a footballer, someone that they respect, They're and I think there is respect for guys like people will listen and then will be changed. And I think there are certain things that the England manager can reach a group of people that other people can't. Yeah. Um, a bit like how Arsene Wenger reached Arsenal fans. Yeah. As well. I think it's another great example as well. And and that's and that's a beautiful transition into our final topic because mm. you know we do have to talk Arsenal. We've got about mm. just got about roughly ten minutes left. So <laughs> so let's do that. Um I don't really want to kind of dive into preseason too much because mm. I've, I've kind of done that with with Simon mm-hmm. and, and Jeff. So I really want to talk to you more about what you what you want mm. to see and what you anticipate seeing because we're 13 days off the start of the season, mm. which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Yeah. Fans, I mean, as far as I know, it's full capacity. I don't think anyone really knows the rules in this country at the moment, but it, it's likely to be a pretty hefty capacity, if not full. And, you know, what, what do you what do you want to see? I mean, what what's the, are you excited? Because well, I was talking to Jeff, you know, mm. he's not hidden the fact he's very excited about the season. Mm. I would describe myself as cautiously pessimistic about the season. So... <sighs> Uh, I would probably start it like most people. I fell out of love a little bit with Arsenal and with football generally during the pandemic. Um, There was too much football on Um, the Euros helped me through it. I think there is a lot of people at the moment, a lot of commentators suffering with fatigue and jaded by the amount of football coming out. There is people that I respected and still respects in some regards to their opinions on football who have completely lost the plot mm. because of they've watched too much football. They haven't had arrests. They're just, there's dodgy opinions that there's the stuff coming out from, I, I won't name names, um, but there are at least one entire podcast group and one particular um podcast uh across a couple of different podcasts who also writes a lot about particular um aspects of arsenal Mm. um that i would say has watched too much football right now and is broken and is jaded and Mm. just needs time off um (laughs) it's just coming out absolute terrible takes and opinions Mm. um and i think i was quite fortunate i pulled away a lot of football i was i think a lot of people could see it that doing the live shows, um, you know, the last season of Jace when it was just me and him doing them constantly, yeah. watching turgid football in an experience where I actually liked watching without crowds. Mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was very yeah. interesting. And I kept, I think I had, I maintained having an interest in it a lot longer than other people did. Mm. Um, it certainly made me stop watching international football. In yeah. terms of, I wasn't watching a lot of the rest of the leagues. I think I watched a couple of Bundesliga games when it came back. Yeah, the novelty. Um, it was the fact that, oh, football's back. And then I was like, mm, well, that bothered, to be honest. Yeah. 
the the um, Ryan Derby doesn't really have the same appeal when there's no Schalke and uh, Dortmund fans no, tearing true. each other up in the uh, in the ground. So yeah. I think that was I still got a little bit of that fatigue yeah. left over. Um, I think one of the things that's kind of going to help is going back to live football. Yeah. Uh, England certainly helped because England for me is where I have very, I have a lot less rationale mm. when I watch, I'm far more irrational when I watch um, England than I am when I watch uh, Arsenal. Mm. I'm far more driven on emotion when yeah. I watch England. Um, I don't know why, but it's just the way it is. I think it's because they play fewer games and because I've watched them from a younger age. Um, yeah. Perfectly with a certain perfect. intensity and I think so for this kind of season coming up I am looking forward to it I think mm. crowds coming back in it'll be an exciting season um, we only play once a week which I think will help us as a fan base kind of do that yeah. bit of relaxing yeah. the fact we'll only be dealing with Arsenal once a week um, it's not every three days I think that fatigued a lot of fans um, yeah. just generally and I think it's one of the main reasons why we're not doing live shows or raw reactions or whatever people are calling it these days for uh, the games this season Yeah, because as great as the content that comes and we, we produce some great content on that to you know, blow smoke up my proverbial uh, it's not it is difficult to do uh, I realise it's the world's tiniest violin for streamers <laughs> You do it on a part-time basis, having to do content. Um, but yeah, I, I think it did break a lot of people um, and might be something we ramp up after this season. Yeah. So I'm kind of going into it just going, great. I've got maybe 40 games, 45 games of Arsenal next season, uh, spaced out over whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hoping for a good cut run. I've got fairly high expectations for yeah. it. Uh, I expect us to have two good cup runs because we don't have any other football. Um, is that dangerous? And to expect that, I mean, like, is that is that maybe a dangerous? I like, would say based Arsenal to do anything good. <sighs> Mikel has done something for Arsenal fans. Uh, you know, he's done a lot of things that people will put in the negative column, and a lot of things that some people will put in the positive column. One of the things I think we can all agree on is whilst we may not have done it in a pretty way, we are a darn sight better against clubs that are better than us than we have been in a long time. Obviously, there are now more clubs that are better than us than there has been in a long time, facing an eighth-place finish. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But in terms of our showings against Chelsea, against United, I mean, United didn't take... uh, We we didn't lose to United. You know, we, We were unbeaten against them. We, the league this season. Be, we seem to suddenly get we'll, good against the big clubs. Yeah, City, City will either blow us away or we'll have a little cagey game and we'll come out pretty well with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Liverpool, I think there's still, like the jury's out against them. In They're terms of a dark horse now because they got forgotten about last season. They got forgotten about and I still expect Liverpool to rip us a new one in certain ways. Yeah. Um, because they've just got that quality. Yeah that we can't cope with, uh, that you can't, you know, there's only so many tactics you can put in place, but when certain things happen on the field, 
there's some things you can't stop. You know, it's almost like the Lionel Messi phenomenon. But, yeah. You know, you, you can man mark him with your entire field, but he'll still get through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll still have an impact on the game. Um, yeah, I agree But I would say generally, in a cup run, I can see us doing quite well. Um, at least two semis, if that's too much to ask. We love a semi on this podcast. Exactly. Um, but I think it's something that we should be pushing through. Um mm and having a good run in these cup competitions because we've got that ability. Uh, we've shown it. Let me ask you something just quickly mm. on that. The cup competitions, mm-hmm. would you, bear in mind the fact that we haven't got any European football this season, would mm-hmm. you be going close to full strength in the uh, Carabao, Milk, Rumbelows, Coca-Cola, whatever it is, cup? Uh, yeah, in terms of the depth. It's a winnable cup, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, Man City have proved that. In terms of the depth that we've got uh, in the squad, obviously we're trying to move players on, um, but you can get away with quite a light squad this season. And I think we'll see us doing a lot of loan deals, not necessarily because we're looking to move players on or we're struggling to move players on, Mm. but because we'll actually need them next season. So like Joe Willock is probably a prime example. Um, we're obviously still looking for a number. Well, I say obviously. Um, we don't really know, but I imagine a player that plays in kind of a number ten or plays, you know, between the lines, Great. like Joe Willock does. Yeah. Someone in there. We're looking for an upgrade on that, which is arguably an upgrade on Smith Rowe, who was our best player last season in that yeah. particular role. So we're looking for a player there. It's probably not Joe Willock because Joe Willock probably doesn't want to compete and play only 10 games. You know, he's already had a a sip of the Kool-Aid. He knows exactly what he could get at Newcastle. It might not be good quality football that he gets, but he gets 35 games next season, probably injury free. He'll get the majority of fixtures for Newcastle. He'll only get 10 fixtures for us. Um, There's another centre-back, he who shall not be named. Uh, Again, there's not necessary if you're not necessarily already in the forefront of Mikel's mind, chances are you're only going to get a handful of games next season because he's got that stubbornness. And one thing that kind of annoys me is whenever people talk about his stubbornness, they point it back to Pep Guardiola. Mm. Pep's not actually that stubborn. No, he loves, he loves mixing it. Mm. Arteta's stubbornness comes from his manager before. That's David David Moyes. Moyes. Yeah. If you look at when, have a look at when a West Ham player this season gets injured Mm. and look at the player that comes in to replace him. Watch how long it takes David Moyes to drop the player that come in, irrespective of their quality, to bring back the player that was there. Say, um, for example, and I don't wish it on him, Declan Rice gets injured. Mm. Watch a player come in. It might be Mark Noble. And Declan Rice is then back. Mark Noble will play the next two fixtures at least mm. before Rice gets a chance in if Noble's been playing well. Yeah. Because he just refu- he he has faith and gives faith to the players that if they're playing well, I'm not going to drop you. Mm. And it's that kind of stubbornness that we'll see players like Willock not necessarily get their chances. Mm. Um, and if you're fortunate enough that you're on a huge amount of wages and to be honest you're getting to the twilight of your career you don't necessarily fancy 
another jaunt out to, you know, you don't fancy moving house this year. Let's mm. put it that way. You don't fancy going transatlantic yeah. uh, and you can sit on your 220 grand a week and maybe trot out for 10 games. Sure. You can be Willian. It's going to say the Willian there. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we've got depth there. So we'll happily let Joe Willett go out on loan. Next mm. season though, we're back in Europe. We're going to have... Hopefully. Oh, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. If we're in the Europa League conference, that's an opportunity for Joe Willock to play probably all of those games all the way through. Um, it should do. Uh, and then with good performances and that will translate to him having opportunities in the Premier League. Um, yeah. Obviously, we don't know what season he'll have. Um, so that completely... It could be that he's first name on the team sheet because he turns into a you know, second coming of... I don't know, the Deli Alley is a goal-scoring midfielder. is the only one I can think of off the top of my head Freddie, right Freddie now. Is a far better. Far he is. I saw him as a winger. I was trying to think. I was trying to think of some kind of goal-scoring midfielder. Sesk. I mean, yeah. So I see even yeah. Frank Lampard's better than Deli Alley. Frank I mean, Lampard, a, sorry. anything in that bracket is fine. Yeah, Frank Deli Lampard. Alley's there's no. one. Fat Frank. He comes second coming Fat Frank. Yeah. Then he probably comes straight into the team because we've got to build around a player like that. Oh, it's probably not going to happen. But that's where he then gets the opportunity at Arsenal. And I think that's where it might frustrate a lot of people that we'll see some people go out on loan who we think we should be selling. Yeah. But I think the view is for squad building for next season, you've, we've kind of got a flux back to a squad size of maybe only 20, 25. Yeah. I mean, Wolves went through the entire season playing 19 players. Yeah. Uh, you don't need a big squad for the Premier League. Kind of nuts really, isn't it? Exactly. And then what you then need is then to flux back up to a big t- big squad. That's why so many um, you know teams fail to push on when they make um, Europe, or they just completely just dis- discard Europe and go again for it in the league. Yeah. You know, I'm talking like a West Ham, Leicester City. Leicester are actually really interesting to have a look at. Is how yeah. after they won the league the number of signings they brought in. I think they brought in six first-team players mm. because they needed to bring that squad back up. Well, they needed to bring that squad up to compete. Yeah. Because yeah. um, your first-teamers then want to play in the Champions League and they don't necessarily want to play against West Brom away. Um, as well. yeah. uh, and that's the kind of thing that we've got to look at, I think, is there's, a, there's the short term of, yeah, we could upgrade on Granite Xhaka, but there's also a thing of if Granite Xhaka is happy to play a bit part role this season yeah. uh, with the knowledge that next season, if we make Europe, he'll play slightly more of a larger role yeah. next season. Uh, a bit like El Nenny as well. Um, I think there's a couple of players that we could probably get away with cover of just two players in each position. Yeah across most of the season. And we don't need any further depth than that. But yeah. going to Europe, yeah, we, we will need probably to be like three deep before we're picking players out of the youth academy. Yeah. So I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, We've got 31 to... days, haven't we, in August to... Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to go I... into a season without necessarily the squad that we go into the season with, if you know what I mean. Like, by the mm. end of August, there there will still be some players in here on August mm. the 30th that we want to ship out. I mean, yeah. like, Kolasinac is a prime example. You can see him moving at quarter mm. midnight on deadline day. 
yeah. to I don't know Everton, can't you? You yeah. can just you see that. Whereas mm. someone like I mean, the thought of Granite Jacker getting a new deal makes me turn in my grave before I'm even dead. <laughs> but um, you can see that deal getting done. To me, the whole mm. new contract offer is, is bait because we're trying to get mm-hmm. them just get it off their ass and get it done. Yeah, um, exactly. And you can also see like a player like Willock sticking around to the end of the transfer deadline day and us potentially, you know, drafting in a last minute Odegaard deal and then saying to Joe, fine, you can move on. But there's yeah. a lot of dominoes that have got to fall before we Exactly. Get. And I think that's one of the big problems is everybody around Europe tends to not have a lot of money right now. So we've got to wait. For each other to move, aren't yeah, they're all yeah. waiting for each other to move. As soon as stuff drops, then people have got to do stuff. You know, um Ben White going to yeah. Arsenal right now, £50 million. That's now £50 million in Brighton's pocket. Yeah, exactly. I so think every man and his dog could tell you what position Brighton are probably going to invest some of that money into. Yeah. And if they're going to go into the continent, onto the continent like they normally do for certain deals, well, that's a French, Flemish, uh, Dutch... Hopefully they avoid at least two of those markets because they've not done well in those particular markets no. recently. Um, but going into another market and picking a player up there, then it's kind of yeah, getting that money to flow through football. Yeah, um, keeping it as a, an active sort of definitely. And there's certainly players I think we can think of generally that need to move across. And I think this is only temporary in terms of a lot of these clubs that are struggling for money right now yeah we should be taking advantage of that in a couple of ways and one of them is going and buying players out from these clubs that are struggling for money um bruno guimarez uh, leon being one you know um leon whilst very well run and uh, probably not in as much debt as clubs that are going bust in <laughs> in, I think spain. Like, in spain or even in um even in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, um, like Lille. Bordeaux were to, this close yeah. until they got a new owner, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's a number of clubs that are very close to it due to COVID mainly. Mm, yeah, yeah. And that season where they've got a lot of lost revenues. Um, yeah, obviously, TV their, TV, their TV deal hasn't necessarily helped them as well. But mm. we're going to come into a season where I imagine we're going to see Stadia with more fans in it. Mm. So the gate receipts are going to start climbing. And there's more countries get vaccinated they're going to start opening these up um yeah. more and more i think england is a bit of a test bed um or petri dish depending on how you want to look at it um, for how the rest of europe's going to react but in terms of you know france and germany uh, are on at least level or ahead of us spain of close to us in terms of adults are vaccinated they're going to start opening stadia for sure until start bringing November. people in lockdown for the the witch's curse Um, yeah whatever we name that one and so that's where i can see us kind of giving players new contracts so they maintain the value and then send them to these teams on loan yeah getting them around europe they're going to fatten up again and then because we know football and uh you know kind of money doesn't necessarily always they can kind of bounce bounce off that kind of stuff yeah. Um, someone somewhere, no matter whatever financial crisis is going on, is making money from it, and at some point they'll buy a football club. Oh, I think that's you. where we can base, and then they'll put their money that. into it. Exactly. Somebody will. Yeah. Somebody stupid enough to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like there'll be someone in pharma right now who 
is making an absolute shed ton from although they're not selling the COVID vaccine for what they could sell it for. Yeah. They're at least get they're getting a lot of sales coming through. They'll get a nice big bonus and whatever, and who knows? Um well buyer already owned by a Leverkusen. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Already yeah, a history of it. Yeah. Um there's gonna be money coming into the game one way or another. Mm. Um and I think that's one thing that I think perhaps we're looking at and we're taking a little bit of a risk by having quite a lot of players on our books, but yeah. it worked all right for Chelsea mm-hmm. with their lone army of 49 players out on loan. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you kind of look at it and thinking, oh, but well, their loan army wasn't just kids. They had players like Bakayoko yeah, out on yeah, loan. That was, a, that was a first teamer for them, yeah, you know, yeah. bought in to make a difference to their squad. They've, they set a number of players out on loan. And I think that could be one. And while some people might get annoyed that I'm thinking I could see this situation happen with a certain right back of Spanish descent with a mm-hmm. certain accent who's on potentially on the way to Inter Milan is if we sign a new contract with him before sending him to Inter Milan on loan. Yeah, to raise his, his valuation. Yeah. Raise his value. Inter, they need a player now, but they don't have the money for it. Now... Yeah. What possibly happens is, you know, we send them Hector Bellerin and we manage to at least clear our book. We've got that yeah. done. Who knows? By deadline day, they might sell Latoro Martinez for 90 odd million pounds to some oligarch somewhere in, you know, England or Russia. Yeah. They might end up with a huge influx of cash that they could then spend. Yeah. Now, what they might do is set some of that aside now and we've gone, ha, well, yeah. Bellerin has a decent season for you. And you want to buy him? Well, we've just signed him to a new contract. So when you could have paid twenty million for him, possibly, you've now got to pay thirty-five million because you're flush with cash that yeah. didn't come in at the right time. And I think perhaps we've got that coming into it. And mm. you know, if Hector, then I imagine he might be more happy to come back to Arsenal. I certainly some fans won't be, but <laughs> I think there's that to it as well that if Hector comes back great we've got another backup right back for next season uh, yeah. when we've got European fixtures what well, Callum Chambers has cemented himself as you know our next right back and Cedric now is you know in his 30s and fancies um, you know going back to his holiday home in yeah. Lisbon yeah. yeah hence back to Lisbon um, who knows there's lots of things that change around football and yeah. I think one of the things that is certainly going to be frustrating is that kind of echo chamber of disillusion from fans of, I don't know, there almost needs to be somebody just coming out to shoot the shit and go, this is how transfers work and go, and you don't want to fall back to, it's not like football manager. It's not like FIFA, but just think about, it's not just, you know, X club wants Y player. Why player also got wants to know if he wants to move to that club and if he wants to move to that club. Well, what does he do about his kids who are currently in school? You know, if they're in school in say London and he wants to move to Italy, to Rome, well, school's going back in September. He's got to sort all of that stuff out. Do his kids, do his kids want to move? 
you know, how do they feel about it? There's a reason why, you know, we ended up with Petr Cech because he didn't want to leave London. Yeah, well, and William, really. I and mean, William, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that. a number of reasons I think we ended up with William. Um, yes. But I think, yeah, it's it's players' reticences of wanting to move. Um, yeah. It's the opposite reason of why, um, you know, Mustafi ended up at Schalke. He wanted to go back yeah. to Germany. Yeah. Um, and there's always going to be these thoughts. We can't just say to, well, there's another player, Lucas Torreira. Yeah, who people have forgotten is even on our books. Yeah, I mean, I had to say to Simon, I was like, oh, by the way, what's going on here? Because I saw him in, uh, I completely didn't even clock that he hadn't returned and I just noticed on his Instagram he's still in um, the land of Bachelor Pies, Frey Bentos. Uruguay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just wondering if he's just sitting out there because, again, we heard a lot in January that his dad, very vocal about please let my son go to a club in Argentina, which is very big and prestigious, but has fuck all money, so can't give you a transfer fee. Yeah. Um, thank you, please. Thank you, please. Um, mm. Yeah, Buenos Aires to Frey Bentos is not a difficult commute, should we say. Mm, yeah. um, certainly, after, certainly less than London. Certainly less than London. Um, but yeah, that is one of my kind of worries is that, you know, we're kind of sitting there and, maybe we send him on loan and people will go, Oh, why can't we sell players? And you know what? We'll get a loan fee for them. Mm. They might give us a couple of million for Terea cover percentage of his wages. And then next summer when we go, Oh, you still want Lucas Terea. We wanted, you know, 10 million last summer. You didn't want to give us 10 million. Well, you know what? You've got money now because you've managed to have fans back in, you had a good run in uh, a couple of Libertadores, whatever, doing stuff in the league again. Uh, yeah. It's now 15, 20 million. So like, these, this, is, this is why this key is, these options of key of uh, I think it's, loan with option yeah. to buy, isn't it? I think it's one of the things that, why I get kind of annoyed with people who say, Edu's done fuck all. Mm. a director of football I don't think you can judge over two transfer windows even that you look at their body work over a number of years Yeah, I mean you could tell if you only looked at his spell at Roma you could tell me that Monchi is the worst director of football in the entirety of Europe (laughs) you could arguably make that um, point that he is not a very good director of football and then you look at his severe record. You know, he built that up over a n- number of decades, even at severe, that kind of quality and why he's so heralded, you know, why we were pushing for him potentially um, as a director of football role under Emery. Um, and I think for me, that's one of the things that we've kind of got to look at his body of work. Yeah, we we ended up with an edu. Uh, sorry, we ended up with... Um, uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, No, William. We ended up with William. We ended up with William. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, We're ending up with William. But there's also a lot of good players we've got over the thing. And it's it's strange that we don't necessarily always want to give them credit for stuff. We're like, oh, well, you know, that was Raul or that was Kia or that was Arteta got it over the line. But whenever it's a bad one. 
It's because every Arsenal fan, as, as you well know by now, is, <clears throat> is, is not only a financial expert, but is also a clerical expert and administration expert. It's true. Um, and all of the above. So yeah. I mean, I I think I think it is fair probably to say mm. that we're we're both in a similar boat. That we're, you know, we're we're, we're kind of open minded to the season. The one thing mm. that I think we we'll, we will be able to say with a bit of confidence is it will be an up and down ride. Mm. Um, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna ask you your the final question before we wrap mm -hmm. here, and and this is this is literally a one word answer. So you're not even allowed to justify your oh, reasons. No. You okay. can't show you're working. Um, <laughs> final position in the league next season. One word. Fourth. Okay. I've got a sixth, so we're not far apart. <clears throat> no, but it's apart. a very different part of the table, I think. Yeah, it's, it's very well financially very, and yeah. yeah. Well, it's on record, so you know. I'm yeah, walk for sure. Down in in six to twelve months' time, and say, mm. well, well, we're we're, we're languishing in twelfth at Christmas, and Arteta's gone, and we brought, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Tommy Tickle or yeah. Owen Coyle in at Christmas. Then you know, yeah. people. Are I, will, I think I will end my general point on the season for the next one. That I currently feel like somebody whose glass is not half full and is not half empty it's just not necessarily the right size in a fan base full of people who have whose glass was full of piss and they've chucked it on the floor and it's in pieces that's what it feels like right and now they scooped up a little bit so now it's got hair and all sorts now of they're trying to drink out of it and they're getting cut yeah. lips and they're pissing and moaning because their pissy drink has got blood and it's, glass it's in a it. it's a glass of hay club whiskey mm with a douse of piss and yeah. an element of, of swell and backwash in it. And yeah. yeah, hopefully we'll get the best out of it, but we can't guarantee. And that's what it currently feels like right, being on Twitter, which is why I may have been a little quieter than normal. In certain likewise, situations. likewise. Yeah. I'm posting my runs and then I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> I apologized for calling out certain people about Ben White. I've apologized for that. I was wrong. It happens that once every five years. Uh, you know, I'll take that on the chin. It's all good. <laughs> Fabulous. Right. We'll leave it there then. Um, thank you, Josh, for your time. Uh, listeners won't know this, but we're wrapping up at uh, quarter to 12 at night. Mm -hmm. So uh, ABW listeners out there, you say we don't do these things for you. We do. Trust me. I mean, it's partly my fault because I got home from run late and you know, whatever. But, you know, we, we stay up. So you don't have to. That's the uh, the tagline we're going with. So, uh, so that's um, that's another one in the can. As I say, thank you, Josh, for your time. It's been been fun and uh, reminiscing as well as uh, front remissing. No, we'll go with forward planning. That's a better version. Yeah. Um, just before we do wrap up, I do just want to say I'm not going to give individual shout outs because we'd be here all day. But the YouTube comments, um, the the likes, the thumbs up, uh, the Twitter comments dms um replies etc genuinely have touched me in that special little spot that no one likes to be touched in um at least not publicly but no genuinely it's, it's been really really nice people have really warmed to this series and they seem to have enjoyed uh, what we've put together here so um i just want to say thank you to everybody who has either treated me directly or the podcast or as i say left a youtube comment um because it's it's essentially the only way that we know if you enjoy these by by feedback and by uh downloads and listens <clears throat> sorry so if you uh if you are watching this on youtube uh don't forget to 
click the old uh, subscribe thing and press the bell and uh, put it on your face face ache and your, <laughs> and your whatever your gramster and i don't i don't fucking know anyway do all that good stuff because danny does all that so thank you very much um share it with your friends if you've got any friends me and josh don't have friends that's why we talk to each other at quarter 12 at night but uh, yeah please do share our work and uh, and if you do like this series as i say i've got no issue with continuing it into the season and uh, we have still got a few guests that are um in the pipeline uh but some of them are a little bit um uh they have an entourage shall we say so uh i'm working my way through various agents and publishers and pr people and god knows what else so hopefully bring, bring you some news on those soon uh but until then we've got plenty more abw members to work our way through uh, and indeed members of the arsenal community so until the next one whenever that will be josh thank you very much again much appreciated it, it's been an absolute pleasure as always and i imagine danny and the entire abw fan base and community will be shocked that we kept this podcast under four hours yes <laughs> un un technically under two hours is, is quite an issue, yeah, exactly. so we've done well <laughs> fantastic well that was abw in conversation with josh Dorsey. so thank you so much for listening we appreciate it uh, this has been a bird wonderland and we'll speak to you on the next one as soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>